you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. And I hope that you're looking forward to our worship in the month of December. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. While I have often preached from Luke 2, I mean, who could not preach from it? Uh, Luke chapter 1 has not been part of my regular preaching. So I'm looking forward to these days when we read about John the Baptist, about his parents, about Mary's going to visit John's mother before she gave birth. We're going to read about John the Baptist's miraculous conception and birth. And then we're going to talk about why all of these things matter. Today, we're going to ask the question, what was the fullness of time? And we're going to look at Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. What a privilege to take the Word of God and open it and read it. And for me, what a privilege to proclaim the message of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a part of the priestly family. She was a descendant of the tribe of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right hand, right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well up in years. The angel said to him, 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. One of the great verses in all of Scripture that you need to know, you need to understand, is the verse in Galatians 4.4 where Paul said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. You, you don't think of it as a Christmas passage, but it's very much a Christmas passage. It is a passage that tells us what God is doing. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, meaning born in Judaism, sent to redeem the people of Israel. Now, I don't know how you are. There are certain things that make an impression on me, and when they make that impression on me, I, I wonder about that. And I remember the first time I was ever aware of Galatians 4.4. What does it mean in the fullness of time? And so what I want to do with this passage of Scripture is talk about the fullness of time because this is all about the fullness of time. It's about God's appointed time. It is about God's season. It is about God's work. And it is what he has called us to do. Now, we're going to, we're going to have Christmas, and it's going to be a big deal. And some of you are going to say, man, why are we doing all this decorating. And some of you are going to ask, why are we spending all this money? And some of you will ask, and why are we making such a big deal of this? And I want to say to you that if all we're doing is decorating, uh, that question needs to be asked. And if all we're doing is spending money, then we need to ask the question, why are we doing this? And if all we're doing is going places and doing things and being busy in the month of December, then that question needs to be asked. But I want to say it this way. But if this is real, if there is a God in the heavens who created the heavens and the earth, if there is a God who said, I'm going to send forth my son to redeem the people of the world. If there is a God 
who sent his son to reveal him and to make himself known and to give us hope and light and to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to stand in the presence of God, then I want to say this. We ought to be making a much bigger deal than we are making because this is the work of God. This is what he called us to do. What does it mean in the fullness of time? I want to give you four things that I see related to this. Number one, it's very important to remember, this is not my time, it is not your time. It's not my plan, it's not your plan. It's God's time and God's plan. And from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the earth, as the scripture says, this has been God's plan. God didn't just say, what am I going to do? Let me dream up a new plan. Let me come up with a new vision. No, this has been God's plan since the foundation of the world. And God has been doing his work and preparing his way. And, and I want to be the first to tell you there are all kinds of times when, when I think, God, why didn't you do it? earlier. And then there are times when I say, God, why didn't you wait until this time? Wouldn't this have been a good time for you to come into the world? But it's not my time. It's God's time. And God executed his plan established before the foundation of the world to do the remarkable, to do the unthinkable, to do the in credible work of sending his son to die in our place that we might live. So it's God's time and it's God's plan. Now, if you read commentaries, if you read historical books of any kind, if you read particularly Christians who write history, they will talk about the fullness of time. And they will point out that the time in which Jesus came, 4 or 5 B.C., and it's 4 or 5 B.C. because we know, it's written right here, in the time of Herod the king, we know because in Matthew, Herod the Great, Herod the King, sought to kill the boys, the babies of Bethlehem. So all of that happened before he died. And when they put the calendar together that we use five or 600 years later, they just got it wrong. Herod died in 4 B.C., and so Jesus was born just a little bit before then, 4 or 5 or 6 B.C., why, what was going on in 4 or 5 or 6 B.C.? Well, let me give you four things. Let me give you five things. Number one is it was the Roman world. And I'll give you four things that have to do with the Roman world. It was the Roman world. Rome ruled the, that part of the, of the world from Spain all the way around to Israel, from Spain to Italy to Asia Minor, Minor to Israel, to Egypt, to Libya. That was all belonging to Rome. And Rome 
ran it with an iron fist, and they had soldiers in all of those areas. There was the Roman world. And because it was the Roman world, you could find, if you go to the history books, a long list of things of why this was the fullness of time and why it was an ideal time for God to send forth his son. But I'll just give you four. The first one is the Roman peace because they had soldiers in all of those places. It was, in a sense, a very peaceful world, but it may not have been a happy world because if you had Roman soldiers garrisoned near you, maybe it wouldn't have been a happy place, but it was a peaceful place. And there was the Roman peace, and that allowed people to move from Spain to Italy, to Asia Minor, to Israel, to Egypt, to Libya, the whole area in peace. Think about Paul. Think about his three missionary journeys. Think about their going to all of these places. That was the Pax Romana. That was the Roman peace. There was a second thing related to this. During this time in history, there was a common language, and it was the Greek language. And what you find in the Greek language is one of the most precise languages on earth. If you want to say something with precision, if you want to say it so that you understand exactly what it means, and it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean any of these things, but it means this, then the Greek language is what you need to read and study and speak because it is a precise language. Think about, think about love Think about the word love in English. Man, I love pecan pie. And I love my wife of 50 plus years. And it's only the context and maybe the, the voice inflection and the, and the body language that tells you which one is which. But in Greek... You can say with tremendous precision. And the Greek language had the word agape. They just didn't use it. They didn't use it because they didn't know how to use it. But when Christ came into the world and they saw that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, they used the word gape that describes a, a sacrificial love, that describes a a, a an unconditional love that, that describes a love that is self-giving and not selfish. And they use that word. And you could come up with thousands of examples like that to describe the precision of the Greek language. And so when the New Testament was written, it was written in the Greek language. And I try not to do this to you, but when somebody says in the Greek, this is what it says, it really makes a difference to do that. And it is amazing because the verb tenses and the endings, they help you so much to understand the precision of what God is saying to us. What an amazing thing. There's a third thing. It's the Roman peace. It's a common language 
It's the Roman roads that allowed Paul and Barnabas and John Mark to start off on that first missionary journey. And they went by sea, and then they went to Asia Minor, and they went to the regions of Galatia. Paul came back all the way to Antioch of Syria, and he traveled by Roman roads that made it possible for them to to make the journey and to do it in the Roman peace safely. And then for Paul to come back, and we think he went out in about AD 48, in about AD 49 or 50, wrote Galatians, wrote it to those churches It made it possible using the Greek language and someone to be a courier to take those letters to the churches, to the Gentiles, who many of whom had never heard of Yahweh God, the God of Israel, and take the lesson. And what did Paul say in the fullness of time? God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, born to Judaism, to redeem both Jew and Gentile and all the nations of the earth. And isn't it wonderful and isn't it amazing? Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the ethnicities, that's what it says, all the ethnicities. And the gospel is going to be preached to every people in every language. And I want to tell you, do you know what has happened in 2,000 years? We are now down, we, Christian church, Christian missionaries, Christian apologists, Christian Uh, Bible translators are down to just almost a handful of people groups who do not have some part of the New Testament in their own language. Do you realize what has happened? The gospel has gone out into all the world and every day in the world, there's a Pentecost happened. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God fell upon the church. Three thousand, and they preached the gospel, and three thousand people are saved. And now, around the world, in all of the places where I see people, and I know in China, in Iran, in in Africa. In all of the the continents, the gospel is preached and there's a Pentecost or more happening every day around the world of people coming to know God. God's plan and God's time is moving forward and he is working. Those Roman roads allowed the gospel to go out and the persecution that occurred in Jerusalem and the the people from 13 or so ethnic groups who went back and took the gospel in their own language. The gospel went out, and we're still affected by this. I had to ask somebody. I said it this way. I said, somebody here is going to know the answer to this, but I don't. All I know is that little story of why is a train track, the width that it is. 
So I said, somebody here is going to know it. Now, there's a guy who told me, and I trust him, but you don't have to trust him. You can look it up. Four feet, eight and a half inches. And why is that? Because the Roman carts were four feet and eight and a half inches, and the roads of ancient times were that size. We're still affected by the Roman roads. What else was going on? There was tremendous anxiety and tension because they had all of these gods. The Romans had gods. The Greeks had gods. I don't know why you would ever want to worship one of those gods except you were just absolutely superstitious. But they had gods, but they didn't have love and they didn't have joy and they didn't have peace. And they had all of those gods, but they didn't have any gods who were for them. And so when Paul and Barnabas came preaching about the God of Israel and a God sending forth his son and his son becoming sin for us, so he who had never known any sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the God of heaven is for you and calls you and wants you to know him and wants you to have an eternal home with him and wants you to have peace and love and joy. Then there were people who were ready to hear. We live in that time of tension and anxiety as well. And, and here are the two groups of people. You're not being bad if you're in one of these groups. But here are the two groups of people who are most affected by this, the very youngest group. You know that. You see it in, in children. You read about it all the time, children who are tense and anxious and afraid. The youngest generation and the oldest generation struggling. And you and I have the wonderful answer of the hope that is in Christ. By the way, if you're in that youngest generation, I am proud of you because I see kids all the time who are studying the Bible. They take their Bibles and they read it. They pray. They have a daily quiet time with God. They tell their friends about Jesus. They invite their friends to church. They're seeing their friends saved. I think we're seeing a revival in that generation that is going to be beautiful and magnificent until the Lord returns. And so even though the people around you are tense and anxious, you don't have to be tense and anxious. Even because others are fearful and afraid, you don't have to be fearful and afraid because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. What else is there about in the fullness of time? Well, it's the fulfillment of God's promises. You read the Old Testament, you read promise after promise of all kinds of things that God has promised and carrying them out in the world. And because they have been given of God, they will have come to pass. No question about that. You almost get the impression, I love the way Gabriel says this, Zechariah is like you and me. Man, I'm in the presence of an angel. I am fearful. I am in awe. Well, of course, this is the way you should be, I suppose. But he tells him what's going to happen. And then Zechariah, of all things, asked the question, you, I've done things like this, Wayland, why were you so dumb? 
I've done things like this. You may have done things like this. Mr. Angel, he doesn't know his name yet. Mr. Angel, how will I know these things come to pass? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. The Lord sent me to you. So, Zechariah, get over it. It's going to happen. But because of your unbelief, remember, without faith it is impossible to please God, because of your unbelief, you're going to be unable to speak until the appointed time, appointed of God, when these things come to pass. And God has given those promises. And they come from the presence of the Lord. And they're going to come to pass. Let me give you three of them that have come to pass, that were fulfilled in this work that God did in the, the conception of John the Baptist in his birth and in his going out to preach the good news of God, preparing the way of the gospel. The three that I love so much are Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Here's what Moses said. Moses said, the Lord is going to raise up for you a prophet like me, and he's going to be among you. He's going to be from your fellow Israelites. I think this is what Moses had in mind. Listen, you won't listen to me when I speak the word of the Lord but you need to listen to this one who comes. And everybody, both Jew and Gentile, needs to know the Jewish Messiah. Most common, most natural thing in the world for a Jew to come to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to follow the Jewish Messiah. There's going to be a prophet like me from among you. Jesus fulfilled that. What about Jeremiah 31? Deuteronomy 18 talks about a person. Jeremiah 31 doesn't talk about a person. It talks about an event. Here's what, he, here's what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it's not going to be like the old covenant. God had made a covenant, but the people of Israel couldn't keep it. I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to give you things to do. You are to obey my voice. They couldn't do it. It was impossible. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And that new covenant is not going to be written on tablets of stone. It's going to be written on hearts and minds. And the word of God is going to be in you. And nobody will have to tell you to know the Lord, for they will all, all believers will know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest, from priest to, to prophet to people. They'll all know the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Jesus Christ, that has come to pass in my life and yours. For all those who have trusted, have repented of their sins, and followed Christ. The, the, the third passage is Ezekiel 36. 
Ezekiel is looking forward to the future. When, when was Moses? About 1,000, 1,200, 1,300 B.C. When was Jeremiah? In the, in the 600s, late 600s, early, whichever way is early and late, 625, 575 B.C. When was Ezekiel? About, about 550 B.C. And they're talking about what God is going to do in the future. They didn't know the time. They didn't know the seasons. They didn't know the events. But they knew the word of the Lord. And here's what God said through Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of rebellion and give you a heart of compliance. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. The Hebrew language can be precise too, and there's a part of the Hebrew language that talks about causative, and it will cause you to follow my degrees, and it's going to be possible for you to know me. What, what it makes it the fullness of time, it's a prophet sent from God, and that prophet is John the Baptist. That's why, why, the, why the angel says he's going to be, don't you love this? He's going to be a joy and delight to you. That sounds like every child born to me, a joy and a delight. He's going to be loved and appreciated because of the message that he's going to bring. And what's the message? It's to repent. It's to turn from your old way of life. Now, I'm very aware that the Christian church has kind of downplayed repentance, but it is to our detriment. And if you came from a church that never talked about repentance, we need to talk about repentance, and we need to be repentant people. God, I turn from those old ways, and I turn to you. And repentance needs to be something that we deal with regularly. I, I want to turn from this. This is not pleasing to you. I want that out of my life, and I'm turning away from that. That was the message of John the Baptist. In fact, you look in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it tells you the message of John, of John the Baptist. Here's what he said. And so John appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to hear John. What was John doing? He was preparing the way of the Lord. What did Jesus say about John? That John was a prophet. Remember, Jesus said to the people when John the Baptist was brought up, he said, did you go out to see a reed being blown by the wind to and fro, a man speaking whatever way the wind is blowing? No, you didn't go for that. Nobody would go 30 miles into the wilderness for that on foot. Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, nobody would do that. What did you go to see? A prophet? Of course you did. You want to hear the word of God. You want to hear. Israel had gone 400 years without a prophet from the time of Malachi to the time of John. And God sent forth John to preach 
repentance. And John's message and Jesus' message, go to Matthew, you see these things. What was the message? Not every message. What was the gist of the message of John the Baptist? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you read a little bit farther in Matthew, and you find that Jesus had the same message. Jesus said of John, you come to see a prophet, and so he is, but he is more than a prophet because he has come to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the one about whom it is written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. It was the sending of a prophet. What is the fullness of God? It is the fullness of hope and light. I love Isaiah 9 too. Those wonderful words of God where we read about the people who have lived in darkness have seen a great light. The prophet speaks it in such a way he is so sure it is coming 700 years before the time of Jesus that he speaks of it as if it has already come. The people in in darkness have seen a great light and those on whom the darkness has enveloped, he has made the light shine. And you live not in the worst day, but in the best day to know God, to have hope, to have light, to know the forgiveness of your sins, to know there's a God who knows your name, loves you, cares about you, cares about what is happening in your life right now. No matter how minute it is, this is the God of the universe who knows you and cares for you deeply and desires that you know him. I know that God is speaking right now. I can say that, I think, with the same assurance with which Gabriel said it, and that he is working in someone's life right now. And he is calling you to turn away from your old way of life and confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Master whom I want to follow and I want to serve and I want to do so with all my heart. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray as soon as I finish the prayer. We invite you to come to the front, talk with a counselor. Let someone pray with you, encourage you along the way in this time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for John, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, for the people of God who have been faithful through the centuries. God, please bless us. I know you're speaking I know you're calling people. I know you're encouraging them. Thank you, God, for doing that today. 
May we see you at work in our worship, in our service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you come now as we sing?